Um, yeah, so talking about podcasts, um, I know what you mean. One of my favorite podcasts is the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, I've heard him, and I've listened to some of his podcasts as well. See, I like, uh, for myself, there's a lot of powerlifting podcasts out there uh, these days. There's a lot of podcasts, period. Everybody's got a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and um, people ask me if I listen to certain powerlifting podcasts. Because I do a powerlifting podcast, and yeah. I do like the reposting on King of the Lifts, I'm always posting like powerlifting on everyone's lifts, the results of competitions, um, doing like preview shows and recap shows of powerlifting um, for like I commentate for powerlifting events at like the IPF with the IPF and stuff. Yeah. So when I'm on like downtime and I'm just chilling, it's tough to listen to more powerlifting, man. Like there was yeah. no life balance if I do that. Like I would be like just one hundred percent all I. It'd be I would have no life balance. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> it's it's a little too much. Like I I remember asking uh, Brett Gibbs. I was like I I talked about um, I was talking to Russell Orhi and I mentioned yeah. Brett Gibbs and we we're talking about the showdown. And um, I was like, Hey, man, did you hear that podcast? He's like, My brother, I coach, I lift, I everything powerlifting. Last thing I want to do when I when I end of the day is listen to a podcast on powerlifting. I'm like, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, I hear you. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, but it depends if there's a, like someone who's interested, who's you're interested in. So that that's the podcast you might listen. So yeah, well, that's it. Like, like there is. I will. Like, you're right. If there's a podcast, if it's um, because 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 from um, in terms of powerlifting, I do like two to three podcasts a week, and they're like. From an hour to 90 minutes, and if we really get rocking and rolling, man, we could go even longer than that. So we're yeah. talking like six hours of talking about pot, of powerlifting. So, you know, I'm talked out. Like, I'm, I'm good, right? But even then, even then, if somebody's on a podcast that I'm like, oh, shit, you got who? I'll still listen. Because if you get somebody like yourself, you're from Estonia, and yeah. um, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now, know nothing about Estonia. Don't know. I did a little research. I, I was one of them, kind of. I did a little research, okay? Oh, okay. Correct me, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, just to give people a little background about Estonia. And I hope yeah. I'm right with this. This is Wikipedia, so I might be off. Um, Estonia, roughly a million and a half people? Yeah, it's like 1.3 million. 1.3. Okay, I rounded up. It is 1.3. That's exactly what Wikipedia said. So you, you know this. You got your population down. Now, I was looking at the history. And it was saying um, for like hundreds of years ago, the Swedish Empire kind of had rule. Then the Russian Empire for a little while. And yeah. then around World War I, uh, there was independence. Uh, yeah, a short time. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, almost 20 years of independence. And then Russia, and then German occupation during World War Two. Uh, no, the, yeah, there are there were like like very short time periods. Yes, like very short. Like Russia, yeah. Germany during World War Two, back and forth, and then independence, yeah. and then independence once again, right? Yeah, ninety two. If I don't wrong. Oh wow! Yeah. So we are, we have been independent now like twenty seven years. Okay. Or, or something like that. I, I might make a mistake. It was 91 or 92. It's, uh... Yeah. It, so, so what is, 
Um, in terms of Estonia, so people know, so this is located in Eastern Europe, um, right on the border, close to Russia. Yeah. And you guys speak Estonian? Yeah, we speak Estonian. Do you also, are you fluent, like, are most people fluent in Russian and English as well? Because your English sounds good. Uh, we, yeah, maybe younger generation is uh, uh, more fluent in English. Uh, the older generation is more fluent in uh, Russian. Mm. Uh, yeah, but uh, there are people who talk Estonian, Russian, English. Now, now they speak even Finnish. So okay. there are like we we speak we speak many languages. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess um, if you're a hundred, like like one point three million people. And you probably do a lot of travel, like in terms of competitions and whatnot. You you leave Estonia. Um, is the language throughout Europe? If you speak English, you kind of get by. Is that what it is? In Europe, yeah. Usually, yes. If we go to the Eastern Europe, like we have to go next year, we go to the Belarus, then we can speak in uh, Russian, and that's also fine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I was, when I was doing the uh, IPF commentary for Worlds, I remember going back in the warm-up room. And, um, like, I, I'm never sure who speaks English, who doesn't. I don't take for granted everyone does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't just assume. So I ask, like, hey, do you speak English? And I remember talking to, I think it was someone from Lithuania. And he was like, of course. What are you, <laughs> like, he was shocked that I, I was like, oh, well, okay. I didn't know. He's like, oh, Yeah. So um, you're you're surprised sometimes, and when we were in Belarus, um, I mean, some people had no idea what I was talking about if I was at a grocery store or something. But they had lines in the groceries for English speaking. Oh, okay. So it helps. Yeah, yeah. English is like uh, it's. Uh, I think it's one of the most common language to get by everywhere. Unless you go to South America, then you have to speak you're Spanish. Trouble? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so when I was on this Wikipedia page, I was also checking out, like, what sports are big in Estonia. And um, and what you guys watch, what you're into. And they were saying, like, basketball's getting more popular. Um, there's a history of, like, like Olympic wrestlers, like amateur wrestling champions yeah. from Estonia. Yeah, yeah. But my man, they didn't have you in there yet. What's going on now? You're, you, you're a medalist at the World Championships. You deserve a little love on there. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult because in Estonia, everything is like, if you're not Olympic sport, then you're basically nobody. Ah. That's, that's the thing, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know what? That's kind of... For a lot of countries, that's the way it goes sometimes. It's like, yeah. when is it in the Olympics? So is powerlifting not that big in Estonia then? Or strongman? Uh, it's getting bigger, yeah, year by year. But uh, I think it's uh, pretty popular right now because we had the nationals a few weeks ago. There were like a hundred competitors. Okay. So I think it's quite a lot for yeah. uh, such a small country. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and just like the news, <clears throat> when you when you lift in international competitions, does the newspapers or radio or anyone contact you and follow? Yeah, newspaper. Basically, sometimes they invite you to the TV shows as well. So, yeah, 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 not bad at all. Hey, wow, that's not bad at all. You know, I mean, because yeah. are are you like the are you the strongest man in Estonia? 
Yeah, for powerlifters, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> is, is there a strongman who's... Do they have strongman in Estonia? I think maybe, you know, Rauno Heinla. Okay. He's like... He's, he's pursuing this uh, deadlift world record at the moment. Oh. He, yeah. Oh, Heinla. Wait, is he Estonian? Yeah, he's Estonian as well. Uh, he won the world... Okay, so for people who know... Um, did he not in the world strong in the world in strongman's world championship for deadlift? Did yeah. he tie for first? Yeah, it might. Yeah, I I don't know the result, but yeah, he's from Estonia. Wow. And from and from older ages, there is uh, Andros Murumets, if you know him. He was famous about this his uh, former career or something like yeah. that. So. You know, so here's the thing. I was talking to Ida Ron earlier today from Sweden, and. Um, some of these times when you guys say the names like with your own na uh, native accents, it sounds yeah. it sounds nothing like the way I read it and say it in my head. So it's like <laughs> I don't even know if we're talking about the same guy. You know, we could be I could be telling you about somebody and you're like, no, we're talking about the same dude. <laughs> right? You're like, I don't know if you know him. I might, but I might know him by a different name. But yeah, um, yeah. so so when you like in terms of when I think of Estonia, I think of the big, like Eastern Bloc, big, strong men, and you're you fit that you fit that stereotype. Um, <laughs> is Estonia like are they big, strong men in Estonia? Uh, yeah, there are, but uh, as the new generations come on, their people are getting smaller, and maybe they don't want to be that big anymore. Really? Yeah. Why is that? You know, I would have loved if you had told me, um, actually, I'm one of the smallest men in my country. I get picked on. I'm, 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 I'm a puny guy for Estonia. <laughs> no, I think I don't think so. <laughs> How did, um, so w when you were growing up, I'm just looking, I'm going to pull up some of your uh, lists here, my friend. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister. Do you, do you come from like a big family, like a strength family? How did you find powerlifting? Actually, it's quite a funny story about powerlifting. First of all, I went to gym to lose some weight. I, I was weighing then like 155 kilos or something like that. I was like basic gym guy, benching, doing the biceps, triceps, yeah. some back, then some cardio. Yeah. And one day I saw a big guy who was, who was wearing the shirt and powerlifting was written on it. I was like, mm, what's powerlifting? And he's strong. He benched like, I don't know, 140 kilos. It was a lot for me then. Yeah, yeah. Then, I, <laughs> then I went home, Googled it. So, okay, it's a sports with uh, three lifts, squat, deadlifts, and bench. I didn't squat at that time. No deadlifts. Then first I started deadlifts, and like a few months later I started squatting as well, so... That's my way to powerlifting. Oh, wow. So, at the time, uh, so this is how many years ago? Oh, it's like 12 years ago now. Holy smokes. So, you've been powerlifting a long time. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 31. You've been powerlifting young. I was going to say, you don't look like you're old enough to even be powerlifting that long. I, I wasn't that young. I, I started like age of 19. 20 so basically something like that so in 12 years ago though so you probably know that like i started powerlifting around 12 years ago as well i think it's 2007 i started 
the change in powerlifting now to what it used to be in 2007. And we're talking, it was like, I, first off, the IPF was only equipment until yeah. uh, 2012. They had the Raw Cup. And it was just yeah. a test. It was a tester. And if it went well, they were going to go all in and have a world championship. 2013 was the first world championship. And, um, like, I remember, man, they didn't have live streams. They didn't have, like, you went on, you would find out who won what, like, after the fact, like a week later, if someone posted it, you might see a video. Nobody knew. I wouldn't know what anybody looked like or anything about them. You know, there's no stars. You just, they were just a name on a scorecard. You know what I mean? Like back in the day. Like, did you? Actually, yeah, there, there were some stars back in the day. Like uh, oh. when I, when I started the powerlifting and I competed on my first international competition, there were, Carling were Christians resolving then. Then uh, there were like uh, Ukrainian guys, Russians, some uh, Norwegians. So there were some stars, but yeah, like, the powerlifting has grown so much like, in few recent years. Did you like? Did you like look up to these guys in um, when you got into powerlifting and know who they were? Uh, yeah, yeah, you look up to the stronger really? guys, of oh, course. Wow, see for me. I knew people locally, but um, I didn't like. I knew, like I would be aware of people, and I would know who was winning what. But I had never like seen them, or like I couldn't watch them live win. I just found out afterwards, and maybe saw a video afterwards. Like there was a live stream. Like like listen to this. This is this is what it used to be like around 2010. My friend Alex Droltz went to the Arnold Classic in the U.S. and it was a big deal. Because the Arnold Classic was like a pretty big deal. Still is, but yeah. it's even bigger at the time. He was competing. There was no live stream. For me to watch this, they had the live scorecard. So if you get a lift, your attempt turns green. If you miss it, your attempt turns red. And I would refresh the page to see who went, and it would just refresh whether it was green or red. And that's how I watched it live. I was refreshing <laughs> a scorecard. And this is what I mean where, like, um, I would know, like I would see your names and I would know who's who and you would like, all right, you know, but it wasn't like if I watch like Russell or he in Brett Gibbs battle it out or um, if I watch like you guys in Sweden live, um, like I was commentating, but if I was to watch it, yeah. you get like an emotional attachment in sports where you're like, oh my God, is he going to do this? Oh my, like, oh, this guy, like, you know, this guy bombed out. This guy came back and took silver. This guy took gold. It's, it's like sports, you have that, where for a while there, you know, we had that disconnect. You know, uh, if you were in Ukraine or Russia, I probably didn't know much about you. There was no podcast. Yeah. There's no podcast. There's no social media. It was just, you know, you're just name. You know what I mean? Like, it was kind of weird. We're yeah. a different time yeah. now. Yeah, there were some, actually, there were some streams, <clears throat> but you had to find them. It's not that easy. Now you go just the good list info or you yeah. just open the Facebook or something yeah. then you had to find them like Google it uh, find the stream then the stream went down then you were oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially if if like it goes right into the deadlift like, oh yes and then it shuts off right there like well who yeah. won you don't get to see the ending of the movie yeah or or if you watch the, some of your friends competing and exactly before their attempt Stream went down there. Right? Yeah. Oh. 
again. Yeah. Or, and I'm talking like it'd be straight up, just a stream, no commentary, no angles. You're just watching it from the back of the room. Yeah. Right? You're like, all right, well, it is what it is. I'm thankful I've worn a scorecard to refresh. Um, so you got into powerlifting. How big were you at the time? When I went to powerlifting? Yeah, when you first started. I was like 160 kilos. Okay. So you were a small... So for, you big dude. Yeah, I, I were a big guy. You were a big guy. And did you do sports before that? Uh, nothing special, but I were active kid. I played basketball, football, all the other basic sports stuff. Just did some swimming. So I've been active all my whole my life, but uh, never went to some special trainings. So. Yeah, my man, at 160 kilo, you were not going to make the Olympics for swimming. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> Damn, my dreams are broken. Yeah, now. dreams are broken. <laughs> You're like, challenge accepted. I'm not challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. You, if you show up in the pool, they're like, we should talk about wrestling or weightlifting is what we should do, all right? You, you were in this pool for rehab purposes only, not for, not for racing. Um, so you start, so you, when you found powerlifting, because this is around, so 12 years ago, around 2007-ish as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember at the time, um, and this is where like online coaching with like the internet, social media, online coaching now, like you could, you could get coaching from anywhere. If I'm not mistaken, who, who's coaching you right now? Uh, Ross Level is coaching me from uh, Reactive Trainings. That's right. System. RTS. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So this is what, this is what I'm saying where now you have these huge coaching firms uh, they can review video. Information is easily transferred. So how quickly powerlifting has exploded in the last like four or five years? There's no secrets, right? Like everybody sees what people are doing. If you do yeah. pause squatting, you do an eights or you do a triples. Like people find out, and everyone starts doing it, hopping on the bandwagon. New research comes up. But at the time in 2007, I just know for myself. I remember the same dude, Alex Droltz, floated me, um, I think it was she Borshiko. And yeah. he was like, this is the good stuff. And it was an Excel spreadsheet. And I was like, oh, what is this? And it was like, it was, some of the words were in Russian, so I knew it was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it was exactly. like, oh, this is the, if it's in Russian, oh, that's the good stuff. And I remember <laughs> punching in my numbers, and they would tell me what numbers I had to hit for the next few weeks. Um, and then whatever, it was just, it didn't matter how you felt that day. You went in there and you hit those specific numbers because Boris told exactly. you to. Um, what was your training like when you first started in 2007? Uh, when I first started yeah, with powerlifting, I did, uh, I had like four days split. I benched uh, two times a week, uh, squatted one time a week and then lifted one time a week. So, oh, wow. yeah. I had a pretty good coach at this time, mm -hmm. so I when I was I was a beginner, so you you can't uh, put so much volume for on a beginner at the yeah. first place. But uh, it took me like three or four years when I first uh, changed my training programs, like uh, like not not uh, that uh, I made like a bigger change. Uh, first of all, I also started with the Shaco programs. Yeah, of course. Did, did, did them. Then I saw that oh, it's uh, like 
I was maybe not overtrained, but my body was stressed yeah. after the, those programs. Then I rested a little bit. Then did small of a program, if you have heard it. Small, it's oh even, yeah, oh yeah, that's brutal. But <laughs> yeah, it's even wor- it's even worse than uh, shaking. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I did that. Then uh, I did things with my own head. And uh, it was last year in July when I, when when my girlfriend actually told me that you need a better coach, you need a coach, and <laughs> you then need I a coach. stop playing yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's actually pretty hard to coach yourself. Mm-hmm. It's easier when you have a coach who wrote, who will write down your training plans and everything, and you have to, you just have to lift. You're just an athlete, you don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I contact, contacted with the uh, reactive training system guys. and But in, yeah, last year in Canada, I met uh, Ross at the warm-up room and we talked a little bit. And after that, I decided, okay, I will write to reactive training systems and I will choose Ross for my coach. So. You know what? I feel a little silly now when I ask you, what you're coaching, who coaching you're with, and you're wearing an RTS shirt. <laughs> I'm an observant guy, right? I'm a quick guy, me. You're wearing, you're wearing an R, a freaking RTS shirt. Um, <laughs> I, I know what you mean. So, because back in the day, we didn't really, like, uh, the RPE system, which RTS yes. has made famous, we didn't really do too much back in the day. You know, huh. I remember, like, Mike T, who was, like, that started RTS, he grandfathered it in. I don't know if people even recognize it actually came from initially. He didn't invent um, RPE style, but he he's the one who brought it to powerlifting, if I'm not mistaken. Because initially, it was, um, I think it was like bikers, endurance athletes who did like huge stretches on the bike in, for the Olympics. And um, for a long time, they were like powerlifters where they were just numbers. They're like, okay, let's say the course is, I'm just going to throw a number out there. I'm probably wrong. Let's say the course is 100 kilometers. They said to be prepared for 100 kilometers, week one, you have to complete 20 kilometers of of road work. Week two, you have to complete 30. And they just did it like that until you're up to 100. Forever. That's how training went. And that's kind of like powerlifting where you're like, all right, um, you have to do this much week one, week two, do this much. Kind of a percentage of where you want to end up. And then one year, one of the Olympic um, teams just like massacred everybody in cycling. And they're like, what did you guys do? What did you change? And what they started recognizing was your nervous system. um, If you just force numbers in there, you can overtrain and overtax your nervous system. So they decided instead of just hitting certain numbers in training, they started doing it by, uh, I think, the heartbeats per minute. And they're like, look it. We're going to maintain a certain level of taxation, and we judge it by the heartbeats per minute. And I'm going to judge this many heartbeats per minute as an RPE 8. I'm going to judge this many heartbeats per minute as an RPE 9 and 10. And then that's how the coaches were individualizing these programs for specific people, saying, look, this is what you've got to do. Your body's getting tired, judging by this output, that output. So then they start structuring it like that. Boom. Changed. Um, endurance cycling forever and then um, after the cycling got it 
other coaches from other, this is like the 70s, man. This is way back in the day. So this RPE has been around for a minute. And um, other coaches and other sports were like, let's see if this works for us. So then you have like different, all the different sports started doing by either, either by heart rate or whatever. Then eventually, I don't know how Mike T found it, but God bless him, glad he did. Mike T was probably reading a book um, and read about how they trained. They were like, I wonder if I can make this like powerlifting. And decided, yeah. I had Mike T on the, on the podcast, but this is like two years ago. I should have him on again. Uh, well, I had him on after the World Championships, but um, I think he even talked about you. But, um, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you were. <laughs> but um, I had him on initially when he was talking about how he, how he devised this. And, and I think he, that's when he decided, look, it, I'm going to do it reps. Two reps in the tank. One rep in the tank. Like how many reps you had left at the end of your set. That's your RPE. And then put it into play. Game's been changed ever since. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know anybody who doesn't do RPE. I, he'll he'll give like specific numbers, but RPE is number one. Yeah, because it's it's so logical actually. You don't uh, if you're like uh, if you're not a pro- professional athlete, you have a daytime job and everything like that. Yeah. You go to trainings. You have an exact weight you have to do. It's like it's okay. The weight says that it's eighty uh, percent. But when you do it, you feel it's like a hundred. So yes. it's it's over. You overshot it. The next time you go to training, you are fresh and you do the same weight with eighty percent, and you feel it's like sixty. So yeah. So yeah, yeah it, we have discussed with my masseuse therapist, and it's also saying he's a runner. So and he said like, oh, okay, it's a good point to take into running as well. So if you have a distance. Time and heart rate, you yeah. don't, uh, the distance is uh, off the floor. Basically, you just uh, take the time and heart rate. So the distance doesn't matter. It, the distance is like the irrelevant thing that uh, changes all the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and you follow the heart rate and time. So that's, that's, the, that's the, maybe the heartbeat for the runners. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, when I was training some hockey play in Canada, hockey's huge. And um, I was coaching some of the hockey players as like like part of the weightlifting part. We're like we're talking about squats, yeah. bench, etc. Because some of these kids were a little small. Hockey, man, you get hit like it's full contact, right? So some of these guys had to bulk up. And I stuck around and started watching how they start doing their drills. And they would have heart rate monitors on their chest, sprint both ways, come back, chill a minute, and they don't sprint again. The guy is monitoring their heart rate, and and the and it wasn't like. Do these kids wait a minute before they sprint again? Do they wait two minutes? He's like, I don't, no, no, no. They go again when I see their heart has returned to resting rate. If it's in 10 seconds, good, go. But it's all on you. You know, like you're monitoring you. It's not specific time, specific, you know, that's kind of like you're talking about where, no, no, no. If you're in shape, I'm not holding you back and making you wait longer than you need to. Go. Your, your heart's back to normal. Rock and roll. Let's get the most out of this this thirty minutes of sprinting. Or if you're out of shape and your and your heart takes two minutes to return back to normal uh, heartbeat, I'm not going to run you into the ground. So the next day you're dead. The next day you're dead, and then you're just burnt out two weeks in. So like it's it's changed, man. Everybody's changed. Like the heart rate monitors the whole nine, you know. Um, and I didn't even think about that back in 2007. Me neither. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you were like you were like you did because I've known this all along. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, 
I, I just wanted to say, you were saying you're a masseuse. I have gone to get like a uh, massage and they're trying to break me down in the back and they're like, damn it, you've got a lot of muscle. This is tough to get to it. Your masseuse got to be the hardest working masseuse in the planet. <laughs> no, not, not really. He's actually he's a powerlifter. Oh. He used to be. He used to be powerlifter, but he has strong hands and yeah, he's a smart one. He he knows how to use his uh, power, like not getting so tired and uh, yeah. do the job. So I like I, I shit you not. One time I went to see a guy and he was digging into my shoulder. Okay, and he, he first he started with a thumb. He's like, I think I found something. I was like, Yeah, no, I feel something. He's like, Hang on a second. And he dropped his elbow into it. And I seen his feet. So I, you know, you have your, you have your face in the in the table, and you're like feet, like you know, there's a hole in the table where your yeah, face goes. Yeah. So you can I can't see him, but I can see his feet. And I lost his feet for a second. His feet came up, and the dude pushed it. He had his feet pushed against the wall. It was pushing into my back and using the wall for leverage. I was like, gee, gee, sweet Jesus, man, you got me. You felt like I was tapped. I was tapped, man. I was like, oh, all right, we're good. Um, but yeah, I can, I can only imagine trying to break you down if you have to like get in deep. Yeah, I think there's like, it's not so important to get so deep into this if you are a masseur, so. Yeah. You don't have to dig so deep into the muscles to fix them. Yeah. Sometimes it's even worse if you go so deep. So this guy was just being mean to me or what? Yeah, <laughs> might be, might be. This, this dude just, did I take his parking spot? He just didn't like me. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble this young man. He keeps that way too much pep in his step. How, um, I want to ask you, so you've been powerlifting since 2007. And yeah. I'm just pulling up your dossier here. How many European and World Championships have you been to? Oh, okay, let me think. If we count in all, our, all my competitions, 2011, it was, 2010 was the first time, 2011 was the second time, damn, I think around 10 or even more. Oh, wow. And you have meddled good and plenty. You are the reigning European champion. Yeah. Um, and you won uh, World Juniors Bench Press. And that silver medal, in terms of the Open Championships for powerlifting, is Sweden the silver medal the highest you've gotten? In uh, Open Worlds, yes. Yeah. Let's talk about Sweden for a second there. Okay. Uh, so, first off, how was traveling for a big man like yourself? Oh, it's, it was actually the quickest travel for me, from home to a hotel. It, it took me like six hours. One flight, then uh, one and a half hour with train, and I was already in the competition oh, wow. place. So yeah. it, it was a quick one. And is, how are flights when you're a big man like yourself? For me, it's okay, but the person <laughs> who sits next to me, <laughs> she already has the problem. That's, I like the way you look at it. Hey, man, I'm good. But it's the person, but I can live with it. So yeah, and um, so and obviously uh, it doesn't matter in terms for yourself. It doesn't matter in terms of cutting weight, but on the flip side, you you have to eat food to maintain the size and maintain your strength. Um, and we've seen like Ray Williams speak on it when he has a food change. It's it's I mean things can can go haywire on him. Um, is that a problem that you would experience previously when you when you go to a different country? No. 
Uh, we are from Eastern Europe. It doesn't matter. We eat everything. <laughs> you guys, you, you, go down the hatch, man. It's all calories. Yeah, it. it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. So when you show up in Sweden and you've done as many world championships as yourself, what was your expectations? Because you ended up, look at when you showed up, how the story unfolded, you ended up loading up a monster deadlift for the win and you were pulling for the win. Going into Sweden, were you ever telling yourself, man, I'm going to be pulling for the world? I'm going to be no. pulling for a gold medal. No, my, actually, when I saw this uh, nomination list, my first task was get the medal. Okay, I, I thought that, okay, Ray and Chessa is far ahead, and then the other guys, I have to beat them. Yeah. When Ray bumped out, I saw, okay, I might have a chance. But uh, I, my squad wasn't so good on that day. Yeah, bench was very good, but uh, my squad was a little bit, uh, little bit off. I don't know even why. I think it was because I lost my balance on my second squad, and uh, I was a little bit afraid to add more weight for the squats. And then when we went to the deadlifts, when Re Chessa pulled his last one, then was, okay, Let's go. we have to go all out. We're going all in. Now, yeah. for, for myself... Um, I remember, because I was commentating uh, at the time, and it's like, it's all happening live right in front of you. I didn't see Ray Williams' last warm-up. When you're in the warm-up room, are you are you checking out your competition and seeing how they look? Um, did you Have you noticed anything with Ray when he was warming up, or were you just totally in the zone doing your own thing? Mm, if I remember right, then, yeah, I looked his last warm-up. It wasn't so easy. No. But I thought, okay, I think he can do it. Yeah. They were talking with his coach, coach, and coach told me, told him that, are you sure about the opener? He says, yeah, I'm sure. Then, okay, if Atlet is sure, then yeah. go ahead. But usually, I think it's better if you don't uh, look around so much. You just focus on your own thing and do your do your own own stuff. So. Yeah. Um... I know you mean where, because Matt Gary's his coach, and Matt Gary's on this podcast all the time. And Matt Gary was saying, kind of like yourself, where like, yeah, he asked him, okay, looked a little shaky. How you feeling? You all right? And Ray was like, we're good. We're all right. Like, and Ray's probably telling himself, I don't feel great, but I've always pulled through. Like, it's always worked out for me. Like, sometimes when he's won so many times in a row, whether it's the U.S. Raw Nationals, Arnold Classic, then the Worlds. That's three times a year for the past five years. Like, the guy just doesn't have a bad day. So he's probably telling himself, all right, I have a bad day. I just won't, my third won't be that heavy, but I'll, I won't miss my opener. Like, you just almost, you almost just can't picture it. Even if you're Ray, if you're everyone around him, you can't picture it. And um, I remember when I was commentating, he came out. And the one thing I noticed was, oh my gosh, his body weight is a lot lower. Like he's lost a decent chunk of body weight. And Matt said that was new. Like when he was in the U.S., he wasn't that light. He traveled and a few days later weighed in and is like, oh wow, I've lost a lot of weight real quick. Um, when he missed his first squat and everyone in the back, yourself included, did you think like, holy smokes, this might happen. Like Ray might bomb out, or were you always like, "Nah, he'll get something out of this"? I don't. I didn't have time to think about his squats. I had to do my own thing, and uh, so it's 
for me, it's, I don't have the time to like see other people's lifts. Yeah. I, I'm just focusing for my own competition and maybe after the squats you see how, how everybody did and then you can go on. But yeah. so far it's uh, your own who had to do the job. So. What about when squats was over, you had to have found out? When it's all over uh, in a squat event, did someone tell you then? Because that Ray had bombed out? Yeah, I showed the table. Okay. And, and heard the noise, noise but... And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. it, yeah, it was like, okay, Ray is out. It doesn't matter. I have to do my own competition. Okay. I still, I didn't think about winning. I was like, okay, now I have a chance for the second place. Yeah. It's got to be tough. Um, I know you mean it's easier to stay in your own zone and not let things affect you. you don't overthink anything. Because you're, everyone around you is thinking the same thing. Well, we all move up a slot. But every, the fight's not over. You still, you still got, you still got Jezza. You still got um, the Algerian. You still, I mean, there's, there's a lot of dudes still in the in the hunt in a yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, it's not over until it's over. So yeah, you don't want to get too excited just yet. Um, so the bench press rolls around, and so you went three for three in the deadlifts, and then you end up going three for three in the bench press and bench pressing two hundred and fifty-seven kilo. Which is a monster bench press. It's okay. How well? I mean, yeah. Okay. What were you expecting for your squat and your bench press? What would you like to have hit? Before the competition? Before the competition. Actually, I hope to squat like 350 or something around there. And the bench was basically what I was, what I was expecting. But maybe 260 was the, I don't know, maybe the most. Uh, most I hoped, but uh, but I had to play it smart to collect the kilos, not to miss the third one. Mm. Because I, if I had missed it, then I lost like 12.5 kilos, so and I will be under the pressure for the deadlift. So yeah, so, it, yeah, it's you that, have to be smart. Yeah, it's a dicey proposition where it's like, look, it, if I like, I could go for a personal best, I could try to push it, but for two and a half kilo, if I miss. I drop all the way back to my second attempt, which is only 247 and a half. That's 10 kilo. So do you yeah. risk 10 kilo for a two and a half kilo jump? That's where it gets, you know, so it's like, ah, let's take with the safe, safe rep. Yeah, exactly. It, it's like, uh, you have to be smart all the time. You have to be smart. When you're doing the full powerlifting meet, you have to be smart all the time with the attempt selection and everything. So that's why I like uh, RTS, RTS very much because they are a little bit conservative about the weight attempt selection, but it pays off at the end of the day. You know what's funny, so when you say that they're conservative, I think, I don't think I've ever talked to a power lifter. If you get the lift, you almost always think you had more in you, right? Every power lifter does, right? They're always like, yeah, I had five more in me. You know what I mean? Even if it's a grinder, it's like, nah, I had more in me. I no, I, no, for me, it's, I have had attempts where like, no, that was my, my, <laughs> my max. You're if like, I talk to you 11. Really? Yeah. You're like, oh shit, did I get that? I, I didn't even yeah. think I got that. Wow. It, it, yeah, it's like, if after the, after the attempt, you don't remember anything. If everybody, everyone asks, was it heavy? I was like, I have no idea. I blacked out. 
I got the squat command and I came to and I got white lights. That's all I know. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's it. Um, going into the deadlift. So it's kind of a bit of every, anybody's game. Jez is ahead. Um, but you can outpull Jez by a considerable margin. I mean, he's, his last deadlift was 300 kilo, at least on today. Now, Jez has started having grip issues. And, and, and he had a grip issue with his opener. And it started looking like for a second there, if Jez couldn't hang on to the bar, he might bomb out. Now, did you watch Jez's deadlifts? Because I look at as a live commentator, first Ray bombs out, and you just take the cards and reshuffle the whole deck. It's anybody's game now. Jez is in the lead, big squats, big bench. We know what he's at. He's not 100%. Clearly, Jez is not 100%, but he's still Jezza, still world class. Um, going into the deadlifts, when that came out of his hands on his first opener, and he started having issues. Did you see that? And what were you thinking at the time? I didn't see it. Oh! But uh, I had uh, Rico Martin and the Algerian guy who I, who I had to fight with. So yeah. it was like, okay, first these guys and then let's see before the third attempt uh, where we are and what we can do. Yeah. It's because those, those guys did not miss either. And um, Jezza ended up, so he missed 280 on his opener, hit 280 on his second. And I mean, with when it comes to a grip issue, right up until the last second, everyone's wondering if that's coming out of your hands. He loads up 300 kilo. And this is the most important lift of Jezza's life. Jezza, Jezza needs this 300 kilo if he's going to have the miracle upset win that he's, that he's about to have. But 280 came out of his hands. He went 50-50 with 280. When he missed, when he hit. He loads up 300 kilo, and everybody in the room, I think, knew this is it. He either hits this and solidifies a win, or this comes out of his hands. Did you watch that one? No. <laughs> no. You don't care. You're like, don't tell me. Just tell me afterwards. Load up the bar for me. Yeah. It, it's like when you have such a great the coaching stuff, around you, you're, they are making the attempt selection, you're, you're just a lifter, you yeah. just have to lift it, yeah. doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what the opponents do, or did he miss it, did he pull it, okay, yeah, when he, when he will not miss this last attempt, then okay, yeah, I might be under even more pressure, because it, it will be only have to be 352.5 to pull, so, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's funny. The more people I talk to in terms of like powerlifters from around the world, some of them like to keep their eyes on things and some of them watch and they want to see what's going on. And some people are like, I don't want to watch. You don't got to tell me. Just load the bar. I, you drive. I'm in the driver. I'm in the passenger seat. I'm like in the middle of some, somewhere like there. So sometimes I like to watch, sometimes I don't. So yeah. It depends, but uh, mainly I don't watch. Really? Okay. So that's pretty disciplined of you because this is a big day. Um, like the, the field was wide open. So as the story goes, obviously Jezza hits. Ironically, in the deadlifts, Jezza was the only lifter to not get his opener um, in the hunt for the gold anyways. He was the only lifter of the top five. And then in the last deads, he was the only lifter to get his last dead. And he needed it. And every single yeah. other lifter missed it. Um, so at the end of the day, everyone's pulling for that weight. Everyone smells blood and they're like, man, we, we, this is the day we could be a world champion. 
what was it like when you were walking up there? Did you know at least that you were pulling for the gold medal? Yeah, I knew it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, it's the most important pull of my life so far. Yeah. <laughs> I have to pull it, but it was a bit too heavy. Is it, is it, had you ever pulled anything like that before? No. So it's way not, the, not even a prom rack or this is this is one of those it's gonna take a miracle. Let's let's, yeah. let's see what happens. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. But yeah. by that time, you had um, your silver medal was guaranteed. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, because you ended up pulling, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, you pulled last, right? Yeah, I pulled last. Okay. So your silver medal was already defended, and, and you ended up going for the win. Now, this was your biggest um, – where does this rank in terms of your powerlifting accomplishments for you? Uh, what do you exactly mean? I mean, when you – like, because you've been powerlifting for 12 years. Yeah. And in terms of all your performances, where do you put this Swedish World Championship for you? Is this number one, or is this – or do you have another one that meant more to you? Maybe Euros. But uh, yeah, the, but uh, from uh, Sweden, yeah, I had a chance <laughs> to pull for the victory, yeah. to be the world champion. But ah, not this yeah, time. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, it, yeah. But uh, after that, I think I thought that oh, it might be my only chance to pull for the world championship title. So yeah, you got to do it. You'd be crazy not to. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's still nothing to lose. Yeah. And and how does like does Estonia do they support you? Do they know what you're doing? Like did you have a lot of people who had maybe showed up or are watching on the live stream at home? Yeah, my family was watching, friends, uh, all other power lifters, yeah, they were watching. Yeah. And does it mean like what's it like because it's only one point three million people? And when you rise to when you're like the number one you could be the number one in the world if you're coming from the US. They have like a, so many sports stars in terms of like, name it, hockey, basketball, football. Um, and this is American football. In Estonia, when there's 1.3 million and there's fewer stars in the world seeing because of the population is like, I mean, the U.S. is 300 times the population. Yeah. Literally, like, like a, or sorry, yeah, 300 times the population. When you're up there like that. Do you feel added pressure when you're representing Estonia and you know what it means to be on the world scene and doing what you're doing? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I, repre I represent, yeah, I represent my country, but as well I represent myself and I want to give my best all the time. So yeah. maybe it's more pressure from me than from other people. Yeah. Because if you're... Um, if you're an athlete, you want to win all the time. It doesn't matter what you do. If you play, play basketball or, I don't know, it doesn't matter. If you have this athlete heart in you, you, you want to win everything. Yeah. Every, every competition you do. And so you don't really put that pressure on you that you're lifting for other people as much in that day. You're more like, you can only, like, because, I mean, I know what you mean where you can only do what you can do. And, and it's, it's even though you've got a country behind you, um, I mean, you're just one man on the platform, right? You can, you, you can only focus on what you can control. Yeah. But do you think, though, like in Estonia, because it, it would mean so much, you know what I mean? Do, do you feel that in terms of, or is the country just not really rally behind you in terms of powerlifting like that yet, so you don't have to feel that pressure? I don't feel that pressure. I think there are 
other athletes so it like the uh, Hostug Athletics yeah. or the wrestlers or or ventures or whoever is uh, competing on the Olympics uh, and for the medals. I th- for them there is a pressure from the people, from the press, and from everybody else. But yeah. for powerlifting, we are not so important at the moment. So that's why I don't feel that pressure. That I don't feel that much pressure from the other people. So. And do you see? Do you think that'll change in the future? Like, is it getting more and more popular? Like, for instance. When you have a guy like you, larger than life, you meet you in real life, like you, you're like a dude who steps straight out of a comic book. You could the weight you could squat and bench press and deadlift is ridiculous. Um, I mean, you could flip cars, pull planes. You know, you're you're like you're like one of these dudes. You're like a strong man, one of the strongest men in the world. And for you to be winning the European Championships, international events, taking a silver medal at the World Championships, like, do you see in the future Estonia? Um, starting to rally behind you more if you just keep racking up those wins and doing what you're doing? What do you think needs to happen for that to happen? <laughs> First of all, powerlifting must be the Olympic sport. Then, oh, yes. really? Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, we have this uh, weightlifting guy, Mark Sein, if you ever heard him. Yes. He, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, like he's the guy who, who has the pressure from the other people from the press. But yeah, for me, I know. Yeah, powerlifting must be Olympic sport. Then, then we have a little more exposure. Then we can get this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to say it right. Yeah, no, I I got what you mean though. Where it's it's like some some press. It's not the Olympics. They don't think it's high caliber. They don't really. Okay, I think we are losing connection. Okay, one sec. I can still see you. Can you see me? <laughs> I think I'm gonna drop out and call. Me. Yeah, now I see it. You got me. Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I was just saying, like, it. I, I, I know you mean. Yeah, give, give me a second. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, the connection is establishing right now. Okay. Yeah, I think it's okay now. <laughs> okay. Um, I was just about to say, I know you mean where some places, if you're not an Olympic sport, they don't care. They don't, I don't know if like, cause it's still the world championships. It's not like it's small time, but it's just like, they don't, they don't care to learn about it. So, so there's traditional in terms of their outlets. I think one thing that helps, and that's where some people don't even realize when this year, when we got on the Olympic channel and some people are like, what's the big deal if you get on the Olympic channel, you know, um, cause YouTube's massive anyways. But the Olympic channel for some places in the world, it just, it's the exposure that, that we need. Like for, for normal mainstream media outlets, the credibility goes so far up in terms of sponsorships, in terms of other like channels picking us up. When you're on the Olympic channel, you are alongside the athletics. Like when they profile um, the 100 meter dash and it's Usain Bolt, we're on the same channel as Usain Bolt. We're on the same channel as like all the Olympic sports. That's a massive push for powerlifting. People who are watching the Olympic channel just for Olympic coverage and aren't even powerlifting fans are going to end up watching you and see what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's why it was so big. You'll have sports writers in sports uh, channels that are watching the Olympic channel for their latest coverage and for their latest stories. And, oh, we'll take a look at what I just found earlier today. 
You know, and that's how we're going to get that exposure. Yeah, I think that IPF is doing a pretty good job to getting us to the Olympics. And when it happens one day, then this uh, sport is going to be massive. Yeah, hopefully. Now, you're 31, and as a heavyweight, I mean, you could probably last forever. Do you think in your lifetime in lifting, do you think you'll see us in the Olympics? Yeah, I think we, I see, I think I, we will see uh, powerlifting on the Olympics, but I think I'm, I'm that old then that I, I can't compete anymore. You don't think so? You never know. You never know. Um, I mean, you got guys like David Ricks who are like 175 years old. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a legend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's it, when people talk about whether or not we'll be in the Olympics, and some people like it'll never happen. And I'm not so, here's the thing, the way I look at it. It's all about for myself, if they think people are going to watch, if there's a viewing audience for it, us being on the Olympic channel, and honestly, this is how I feel, um, it was a test for them. Do people care? Is this something that people tune into and watch? End of the day, the Olympics now is a, like, it's, it's a show. You know, we yeah. need to see viewership. There's a lot of money involved, a lot of sponsorship involved. Governments that take this on put a lot of money into it and they need return on this, on their investments. They want sports that are going to bring eyeballs. Is it entertaining? Do people care? They'll do stuff like ballroom dancing if they think it's going to bring eyeballs. And that's ballroom dancing. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. Speed walking. They got ridiculous sports like speed walking. If they think people are going to watch it. Powerlifting is starting to, for a long time, people talked about powerlifting like it's boring. It's not fun to watch. Lately, you've been hearing like people actually get entertained when they watch the European Championship and the World Championship, the U.S. Raw Nationals. It's, it's becoming big viewership. Yeah. And, um, and us getting on the Olympic Channel, when they tweet out, they usually tweet out, tune in 2 p.m., Downhill skiing. Tune in 3 p.m. You know, we got speed walking. For powerlifting, they were tweeting like every day, several times a day. Make sure you don't miss, you know, the 120 plus kilo men are, are battling it out. And they start, you can, and we were getting emails every single day because of the, you know, the value that we were giving to the Olympic channel. So it is, it might not be as crazy as people think, uh, powerlifting getting into the Olympics. Because it's all about whether it's, they think people are going to tune in. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. that yeah, it happens. I hope it happens soon, <laughs> as soon as possible. But for, we don't know. We don't know when it happens, and yeah. it, if it even happens. But yeah. hopefully, hopefully yes. Well, we have people like like a Russell Orhi who has um, like close to three hundred thousand followers on Instagram, and um, take a look at some like a water polo player and see how many followers they have on Instagram. They got none. You know what I mean? Like, we have stars. We have legitimate people who around the world follow just as fans. Yeah. Which is exactly. rare. So, we have, yes. Yeah, we have them. We just got to expose them. Um, in terms of your greatest accomplishments in powerlifting, been at it for 12 years, which, which one is probably number one for you? It's, uh, it's I think it's a little bit tough decision. But, uh, Okay, yeah, last year Euros were my peak goal that I achieved, but uh, but the first gold medal from the, from the juniors, I think this is the most memorable because uh, when I won it, I maybe I didn't feel anything special, but if you 
turn back the time and you see that, okay, it was quite a big thing in that day, actually. And maybe I didn't realize at that moment that it's a big thing. I was like, okay, I won. It's like one competition. But later, if I haven't won anything on the big stage, and last year I won it the Euros, it's like, okay, now I can, now I know how it feels, and now I can enjoy it even more. Because this was, this was 2011. Yeah. And you know what, I know what you mean where sometimes when you first start, and they talk about this in sports in general, when you, when things come, I don't want to say come easy, but when you start off and, and you start winning, you're winning world championships a few years in, and you're like, oh, well, I mean, this, this could be kind of the way it is for me. And you don't realize, sometimes you win, and if you win a few <laughs> years in, you might kind of have that expectation, all right, this is, you know, I'm special. This is, this is what it takes. Like, I can keep winning. Eight years later, and you're like, holy shit, that was the only world title I got. Like, it is hard. There was a, the world is a big place. You know, coming yeah. back and winning is not for it. You can't take it for granted. And sometimes, like, you know, it's a, it's a part of getting older. You start realizing what you had after the fact when you look back and you're like, that was a moment. I didn't even know at the time. I didn't realize yeah. at the time how special that was. The stars have to align. I've been in those situations where I look back and I'm like, I don't think I fully appreciated what was happening when it was happening until it, until it like, afterwards. And you're still chasing that moment. You're like, damn, that's a hard one to get. Yeah, and you, you want to experience it once, once more. Yeah. When you have experienced it once, once you have to do it once more. Yeah. And after that, you do it, you want to do it again, yeah. again, again. Yeah. It, it's, so. it's, it's, um, I remember, so in 2000, actually it's 2011, same time. Um, I was on Canada's Got Talent, and then I got my own reality TV show. We were flying all over the world filming it, and, um, I just had shot a bunch of emails to TV producers with like a, a media package I did. And um, things came like, again, I don't want to say easy because I hustled hard to get that, but it, it happened. And I was like, on oh, the Cans Got Talent was like a couple million people watched it. This TV show was like worldwide on like the Food Network. And, um, and we filmed like a full season. Nothing is shit, man. Uh, who knows what's next? Maybe I do this, maybe I do that. I'm thinking this is just going to get bigger and bigger, right? And then when the show, about, like it just lasted one season, taken off the air. And then you start sending out more emails like, all right, what's next? And there was, oh, no, that's, that's a wrap. We're good. And you're like, oh, shit. That was, you know, you're, you're like, oh, no, this, that wasn't just, if there wasn't more and more, like eventually started doing other things. But it took years to get back. Now I'm doing like IPF on the worldwide broadcasting. This is like probably even better job because I love powerlifting. Um, but you, you, I know what you mean where you're like, you look back and sometimes you don't realize, <clears throat> like I just thought, well, I'll do what I did last time to get on a TV show. I'll do it again. I know how to get on, I know how to get on the TV show. This is what I'll do. And I won't get into the whole background story, but there's a whole process you do. You could do it all over again and it doesn't happen. And then you try it again and it doesn't happen. And then you try it again and you're like, Years go by, like that's, you know, it's not that easy when you look back. Yeah, and sometimes it did, it don't even happen again. No, it's a, it, it was only once in a lifetime thing, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And you you can't experience it anymore. So yeah. that's why if I'll tell anybody advice, 
when they when they're like uh, some people are like in the preview shows leading up to world championships, European championships, and you get nervous about the outcome, you start getting nervous about things that are outside of your control. Um, and it doesn't sound like you do that because by the way, talking to you, you don't focus on those things. But I tell people like, just soak it up and appreciate the moment. You're gonna fly across the world. Um, everyone all over the world in your sports gonna be watching, and you're gonna have a moment. Just appreciate the fact that this is happening. You're in the moment. It just, just you may never make it to a world title again. This may never happen again. Just enjoy what's happening and realize, like, man, I, I share an elevator. And I might not even understand any other language in the elevator. That's unique, man. There's like people from 30 different nations in the same hotel room. 30 yeah. different nations, different backgrounds, different beliefs, different everything. All in the same hotel room for the same event. And people all over the world are going to watch it. It's crazy when you think about it. And you, and yeah. like yourself, you're one of the strongest men in the world. And you're going to hit the platform with one of the strongest men in the world. Um, all these other guys. It's, it's special. It could be over. Yeah. Like, it may never happen again. Exactly. It might never happen again. Yeah. That's that, yeah. That's the story. And before this this year, Europeans, my friend asked that, oh, it's going to be tight this year. I told that there's nothing I can do with my op opponents. I have to do my best. That's it. <laughs> and when it comes to the last uh, deadlift, then we can see where we are, where we at. So. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. You can't take things for granted. No. Is a big takeaway. I remember um, in so the first year I was commentating was in Texas, and the second year was in Belarus. And um, I remember Ray Williams hit the platform, and I was commentating, and I said, um, "This right now, I'm just talking about what I feel at the moment." And I heard myself, which is a weird thing when you hear yourself. Sometimes when you're commentating, you overanalyze what you're saying, and your day to day when you're talking, you're not even thinking about it. Is talking to your friends, whatever. Sometimes when you're commentating, you overanalyze what you're saying because you know it's live, worldwide broadcast. And people take <laughs> people take snippets of the Ray Williams and they'll repost it on YouTube, just his performance, and it lives forever. I see my commentary on so many different outlets that aren't even IPF anymore, and I'm like, holy shit, man, I gotta watch what I say sometimes because it lives forever. <laughs> and um, so you analyze what you're saying. It's really bizarre. And I heard myself say, this might be the strongest man in the world. This might be the strongest power lifter we've ever seen. And he's about to do his thing. It's something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. And he walked out for a squat. And I heard myself say it. And I was like 20 feet away. And I thought to myself, holy shit. <laughs> I'm in Belarus watching one of the world's strongest men in history. Uh, commentating the world championships with a live broadcast. And it just hits you like that, where you're like, you know, this is this is wild. How the hell, like, I'm, I board a plane, go across the world and commentate on some stuff like this, watch one of the strongest men in the world 20 feet in front of me, squatting over a 1,000 pounds. This is, it doesn't even seem like real life when you actually think about it. You know, yeah. these are moments. And I had, like, a weird, uh, you know, like, a weird presence right there. Like, live on the air, you start getting, like, you feel weirded out by, like, holy shit, this is real. This is a moment right now. I got to appreciate what's happening. Yeah, exactly. You have to you have to live in the moment, and uh, it's it's hard sometimes to realize that that moment can't be like historical. Yeah. Like I don't know if you see race, some race spots, yeah, they are historical if you witness them. Mm -hmm. He he might never squat this weight again. Yeah. Or there is there is nobody else who can squat this weight again. So yeah. 
it might be the once in a lifetime thing and you were there, you saw it and that's it. Yeah. Do you ever tell yourself like when you got a silver medal at the world championships and you're like, like that, you're number two in the world right now. Does that dawn on you to be like, and, and you're a heavyweight, so that's the top of the food chain. Does that ever, like, did that hit you when you went home to Estonia and be like, holy smokes, are these some of the goals you're checking off? Uh, it's, it's like, it's, it's not that easy. Maybe I'm a little bit rough against myself. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's like, okay, yeah, you're second, but I don't take it as a so big thing, but there are people who's coming to congratulate me and say, oh, you did amazing, and then you realize, okay, maybe I did something big. Yeah. But, but it's, uh, for me, for myself, it's like a little bit hard to put it in some kind of uh, perspective or something like that. It's, it's not so easy, but maybe, yeah, the people who see, see it from the other side, they see that, oh, it's a, it's a actually a really big thing. But for me, it's like, oh, okay. I, I just do my thing and, and yeah. that's it. When you, when you look back on all this, well, first off, what are your immediate goals that you want to hit in 2020 in the next few years? Like what are some of the, cause you've been close to some big certain round numbers that you've been chasing or perhaps certain performances that you want. What are some of the goals that you want to hit that you tell yourself? Cause when I'm talking about your squat and your bench, you're like, yeah, it's good, but I had other numbers in mind. What are you chasing right now? Ooh, it's uh, actually a little bit tough question. First, uh, first of all, let's do these zeros <laughs> in, in, in two weeks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have actually next competition coming in January. I got invited to Iceland to compete on uh, Reykjavik International Games. And uh, I, my biggest goal at the moment is uh, to get one your record at least, and it's uh, three lift bench bench press uh, record in three lift mm. European bench press record record. It's at the moment it's two hundred and seventy kilos. We will see when it happens and does it happens, but it's it's my main goal, and it's been a goal for me for a long time to once hold the one continent record or world record, it doesn't matter. Yeah. One record at least. Oh, open world record. I believe, was it not the Algerian, I don't want to mess up his name. Do you know how to say his last name properly? No. Um, <laughs> it, okay. Bugalum? Remember, yeah. yeah. Remember, I remember when he hit the world record on bench press. Did you see his celebration when he was, he, I think his coach came out they stood on the bench, and they're like, yeah, and they were like celebrating, and it was, it's a bit of a powerlifting moment. Yeah. I seen um, also Jason Mike, what, probably the big one of, Jason Mike had been, he's a master lifter, so he's like a dude yeah, in his 40s, by the way. Yeah, so you know Jason Mike. Yeah, and, I know. And he had been chasing the bench press open world record, the one that uh, Mugulam, I think, took. He'd been chasing that for years. We had him on the podcast, and he talked about it. He's kind of like you were saying, look at if I could just grab that world record, you know, that you can, no one can ever take that from me that it, that it happened. You could break the record, but that happened in history. That's attached yeah. to my resume. And he had been chasing that for years. And as a master lifter, you kind of know the, the clock's winding down on you. You know, your opportunities is big. 
You know what I mean? It's shrinking. You got to get it done. And uh, yeah. he went into Calgary as a master lifter. And um, probably one of the biggest moments I remember from world championships is when Jason Mike took that world record, fell onto his knees, and was like, oh, my God, it finally happened. You know, like that was that was one of my goals I wanted to hit. Yeah, when you have been working so hard for something and once you achieve it, it's like amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah. It is that. So is that your um, – when all said and done, when you're, when you're done powerlifting, period, what are some of the goals you want to hit before you wrap it up? Oh, I, I don't have some so specific goals. Yeah, okay, this record, maybe win some Euros. If I have a chance, maybe one day win this world title. But yeah, it's just a, I don't have so, so specific goals for... And 1,000 kilos is okay, also one code. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, you, you take that, huh? Yeah, but it's a, it's a goal. It's a one milestone, but uh, you maybe it doesn't happen. It Maybe it doesn't happen ever. I don't know. But it's a thing to work for, so. Do you, like, when you think about, like, milestones, like 1,000 kilos and certain goals, are you reluctant to, to pick a goal because you don't want to get too goal focused and lose sight of what you're doing day to day. And if you don't hit a goal, you don't want to change, you know, that you don't, you don't want to take things for granted, basically. Like, is there a reluctance to say you want a certain goal because you don't want to lose sight of what you're doing in your day to day, just in case you don't get it? Yeah, it's sometimes to take uh, smaller steps to get to your goal. And if you, even if you don't get there, then you have taken, small, taken uh, smaller steps to reach another level so even if I hit 980 okay I'm so I'm still happy yeah and that's the thing is what sometimes when you as powerlifters we get so number driven and we focus on numbers that if you don't get that number then you got to reassess everything which isn't it's just a number like your day-to-day when you're taking silver at worlds winning European championships whatever number wins it's a sport whatever wins wins and whatever gets you medals gets you medals. And you don't want to bank it all on a, a, a number. Just the difference between 997.5 and 1,000 is 2.5 kilo. It's just because it's a round number you're going to bank success on. And you don't want to change that. You know what I mean? The feeling. And I know what you mean where it's dangerous to get into that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like if you are competing on the Euros or Worlds or something like that, you, you just... First goal is always win the medal. Yeah. Then comes the numbers. It, the numbers doesn't matter. It, it might be bad day for you. Might be bad day for your opponents. It doesn't matter. First thing first. First medals, then all the rest. So. Mm-hmm. And um, are you you guaranteed to be going towards uh, the Belarus twenty twenty World Championships? Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure at the moment, but we'll see. Okay. We'll see. How my body can take all this feeling and stuff. So, do you like how long do you think you want to keep doing this as a super heavyweight? Is there a point where you tell yourself because you're 185 kilo in Sweden? Is there a point where you want to tell yourself when I hit a few goals and I hit a few things like I I won some titles, made a few more years, I'm gonna stop, drop some weight, become like a normal life? Or do you think about that, or is there any kind of concern in that way? Actually. I had to stop 
last last year after the Euros. But then I was like, okay, let's do the Worlds. Actually, my girlfriend told me that the Worlds are in Sweden. It's so close by. And I was like, okay, let's do the Worlds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then now it's like, okay, let's do the Euros as well when I'm doing the whole season. And now they invited me to the Iceland. Iceland is so amazing country. I'm like, okay, I'm going there as well. Ah, so. you take that. There'll always be something. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like a mouse wheel. Yeah, you just jump out. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah, like, yeah. if you are staying in there, you, you can't get out. That's it. You can't. And it's it's tough because here's the thing: for for a lot of people, they don't realize like what it takes to be a one twenty plus kilo. Like, how many calories a day do you think you consume? Is it? A, do you know? Do you track? Uh, I don't track so specifically, but uh, I think around. 4,000 to 5,000 and yeah, you have to eat a lot. It's Sometimes it's, uh, you don't want to eat, but you have to. You force yourself to eat. And do you think, yeah. like if the, the day you decide I'm done with powerlifting, are you are you immediately going to drop some weight down or what's your plan? Yeah, I think I'm going to drop some weight, but it's like a long-term plan. Yeah. And it's, it won't happen like uh, one year and I'm like 120 kilos or something like that. I I think I take it step by step. Mm -hmm. Lose some weight, live with it. Lose some weight, live with it, and so on. Because mm -hmm. it is that's the thing where uh, when you're used to being 185 kilo and one of the strongest men in the world, and 185 kilo for anybody around the world, that's like 400 pounds. It would be different being smaller, wouldn't it? Like with that, do you think? Like what you're used to capable of doing right now is is like unfathomable for a lot of people to think about. To be totally in like in the nine, mid 900 kilo range and talking about a thousand kilo total. For most people walking around in the earth, that's just like they can't wrap their head around that. That's silly talk, right? Um, a very few, the percentage of people in the world that could do what you do at a 7 billion is fractions of 1%. To give that up, you know what I mean? Where it's tough, where like there's always <coughs> another competition to do. You know, and, and it's, do you think it'd be weird to give it up, shrink down and be kind of normal? Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I haven't done it yet, so. Yeah. Is that why, uh, yeah. is that why you keep pushing it off? Do you think? Because you're like, I don't know if I'm ready yet to be normal. I think not. I think not. I, maybe I pushing it forward for the next victories, for the next medals, but. But if I step off, then the first thing, let off the numbers. You can't hit the numbers you when, which you hit when you were like 180 kilos. Yeah. That's the first thing you have to do. You, you, you have to realize that you are staying weaker. But uh, that, that's why I'm planning to do it uh, step by step. Yeah. To, to maintain, maintain as much power as possible. Ah, okay. So do you see, even after you're done powerlifting, um, you'll always be lifting weights? Yeah. It's like when you give your finger and uh, it took all my body and <laughs> and that's it. So uh, if you, you I can't uh, live without lifting weights and yeah. I think it's not possible. I hear you. I don't, I don't care if I, even if I stop powerlifting, I can never squat, stop squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing and, and yeah. lifting weights. Like, I, I want to be like that dude who's 70 years old and be like, oh, damn, you're 70? And I'm still lifting weights. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. 
Do, do you see yourself competing in any weight class besides 120 plus though? Or when you decide I'm dropping body weight, you're done competing? Never say never. Yeah. I don't know. It's true. You're right. Yeah, I know two of my opponents. Uh, Christoph from uh, Netherlands and Martin from Norway. They went down to one up to 100 plus category and now they're competing in uh, Kaunas. Three years ago, we competed together in one up 120 plus, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's all possible. Yeah, I guess you just got to cross that bridge when you get there, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when all is said and done, my friend, let's say, um, you know, you're an old man looking back and, and you've, whatever the, whatever the future is going to unfold before you retire has already happened. When people look back at you and they talk about you and your career, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, it's a tough one. That's a tough one, man. That's why I save it for last. That's <laughs> Maybe, maybe the most most important thing is that uh, they remember remember me as, as a big humble man who lifted a lot of weights, won some things, and and that's it. I think I don't need anything special. So yeah, well, that's humble right there, my friend. That's humble right there, my friend, and possibly a world record. Never say no. <laughs> well said, my friend. Listen, thank you for coming on. Uh, much appreciated. I know you're knee-deep prepping for the European Championships. Good luck in the European Championships. Uh, thank you. Hopefully I see you in Belarus. We'll see. If you jump out we'll of see. that, well, if you jump out of that mouse wheel or not, if you stay in there, I'll see you in Belarus. <laughs> uh, make sure you say hi when you see me. Is there anybody you want to thank while I have you on here? I think I want to thank my family, my teammates, my sponsors, and uh, also my coach Ross. So yeah, but so, uh, most of, most mostly my family who's been supportive all the time. So. And um, if anyone listening wants to follow you on social media to follow your journey, do you do coaching? By the way. Uh, I coach uh, some of my friends, but uh, nothing uh, serious okay. right now, okay. because it's quite hard to coach and uh, prepare myself for the competition. So I can do, I can't do both things. Yeah, some people do, but I can't. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, I was just gonna let you plug your coaching, but um, if anyone wants to follow you, just to follow your journey for the European Championship, the World Championship, how do they follow you on social media? I have an Instagram account, which is called uh, Chubby. Chubby? Yeah. <laughs> you are a humble, modest man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is basically my only social media account. Yeah, I also have the Facebook, but I prefer to use it for my closest friends. And Gotcha. That's fair, my friend. That's fair. Well, listen, um, good luck in training. And good luck at the European Championships. And um, if I see you in 2020, I'll see you. Until next time, my friend. Thank you. See you later. See you. Bye. Bamson Rast uh, of Estonia.
And, uh, man, this is the first time we ever had somebody from Estonia. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if they speak, like, good English, um, if he would have needed an interpreter or whatnot. He said, nah, I think we'll get by. We got by just fine. I like having people on from different regions of the world. A, they don't always get the exposure they should. There's huge social media accounts with the Americans and um, some Canadians and, and uh, Western Europeans who, who, you know, they're more into the English culture, so it's easier in terms of translation and whatnot. But um, it's important that some people uh, from, from regions like that of, of Europe and all over the world get the exposure they deserve. So, give my man the exposure he deserves. Throw this up in your Instagram mini feeds. I will repost. Give us high ratings. If you're watching on YouTube, please do subscribe. If you're listening to it on the audio, please do subscribe. Please do give us high ratings. Um, people like my mans deserve the exposure, and it just helps the sport grow. You know, we're only going to get bigger the more we support each other. With no more else to say, I think it's been a hell of an episode. We did two back-to-back today, so make sure you also hit the Ida Wrong episode. It is live as we speak from Six Pack Lap at 